Bibles open, if you will, to John chapter 6, and uh, we'll have the reading for today. John chapter 6. I'm actually going to start at verse 22. It gives a little more context to uh, this passage. John chapter 6 at verse 22, it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you, are, you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bob. Good morning, church. It's kind of funny. It seems like a long time since I've been able to see that from up here. My name is uh, Tony Freitas, and I serve on the elder board here at Bethany. And uh, my wife and I, Holly, we uh, serve full-time as missionaries, too, as international missionaries traveling all over the world, uh, as training pastors and leaders. Uh, we are with the missions arm of the Evangelical Free Church, which is called Reach Global. And it's such a wonderful privilege to be up here behind the pulpit this morning and share God's word with you. As an international missionary, one of my roles is training pastors in church planting. This includes theology, community development, 
and bivocational ministry. We do this so that they can more effectively reach their communities physically, spiritually, emotionally, and socially. Over the years, in many countries, I've trained many pastors with very different theological understandings. At times, we get some interesting leaders who have gotten tired of their occupations, and the occupation didn't work out for them, so they decided they wanted to be a pastor. It's usually pretty easy to pick them out. When we begin to discuss theology, um, the conversation quickly gravitates towards the verses that directly benefit them and not necessarily the church. These guys are looking for money, status, personal blessings, and their theology is really backwards. To them, the Bible is about how good Jesus is going to um, make them a successful, respected, well-paid member of their community. They're looking for a job. A job with great benefits. I call this understanding of theology, meology. Now, meology is when a person believes that the Bible is all about them. One of the first things I tell this group of pastors is that if you're here today because God has called you to pastor a church and you want to learn new effective ways of teaching God's word and reaching your communities, then you're in the right place. If you're here and your reason for being here is that you're looking for a job, then I suggest you go and get a job. Because being a pastor isn't about God, what God is going to do to serve you, being a pastor is about how you can serve God. Prosperity gospel has taken a foothold in many places of the world. A common belief is that you can control God to meet all of your needs, every one of them, and it's usually monetary. Now, theology is it's a fairly complex subject. So in an effort to help the average Christian understand basic theology, the author, Bob Shogren, wrote a book titled Cat and Dog Theology. In his book, he uses the different traits between cats and dogs to describe two different theological views. I've met Bob many times at conferences, and I believe that his book is spot on. There are real differences in how Cats and dogs see the world. If you're a dog or cat owner, then you're really going to make, this will really make a lot of sense to you. Bob writes, dogs have masters. Cats, well, cats have staff. (laughs) This is why mankind has traditionally attributed characteristics such as loyalty, service, and faithfulness to dogs. But cats have acquired traits like independence, and aloofness. The theological differences between cat and dog theology might look something like this. When I walk at the door after a long day at work, my dog is so excited to see me that he can hardly control himself. I can almost see what he's thinking, and in his own dog-like way, he's saying, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. Therefore, I must be God, or you must be God. (laughs) 
On the other hand, a cat will just glance at you from the couch or whatever throne he's chosen for that day. <laughs> and you can just see inside that little head he's thinking, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, therefore I must be God. This difference between cat and dogs is very similar to how Christian theology is being lived out today. We call it dog theology and cat theology. Dogs will say, Lord, you love me, you bless me abundantly, you gave your life for me, you must be God. Whereas cats will say, Lord, you love me, you bless me abundantly, you gave your life for me, therefore I must be God. Please note, that cats or people with this theology never really say, I must be God. They know that it would be politically and biblically incorrect. That's why, cat, or that's why pure cat theology is never taught from the pulpit. It's never sung in a song. It's never taught as a seminar. And this is because cats never say, I must be God. But what they do say is, it's all about me. It's all about us. God did this for us. Life is about us. I must be what God not only died for, but what he lives for, too. From Bob's example, we can see that there are clear differences between how a dog views God and how a cat might view God. As we'll see in John 6, there are also differences in how man sees God. We'll refer back to this a little bit later in our study. This morning, we're going to continue looking at the heart of Jesus. Our study goes hand in hand with a book that we're reading as a church. It's titled Gentle and Lowly. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm glad you're with us. We'll be looking at a key verse in John 6:37, which reads, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Our slide. Oh, wait. This morning's outline in your bulletin, um, go ahead and pull it out and we'll begin. Before we focus on our main verse, we'll look at the passages surrounding verse 37. We'll call this the 35,000 foot overview. Uh, we'll get a bigger picture of what's taking place in John 6, and then we'll zoom into our landing strip and unpack verse 37. We'll begin with the outline, number one in your outline. Uh, go ahead and pull that out. It should be in your, in your, bu- or in your uh, bulletin. In this passage, Jesus wanted to, some time away. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize this passage just for time's sake. So when Jesus, uh, he wanted some time away from the crowds, so he went across to the other side of the lake. A crowd of people who had earlier seen him, Jesus, Jesus healed the sick, followed him to the other side where Jesus was sitting with his disciples. Jesus notices a large crowd of people heading his way. And to test Philip, he asks, where can we get food for all these people? Now we know that Jesus was testing him because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Now, Philip jumps into the conversation and says, it would take a year of hard work for me to have enough money to buy even enough bread for one person to have a bite. 
Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, says, I have a small boy here who has five small loaves of bread and two small fish, but this is hardly enough to feed such a large crowd. There were about 5,000 in this crowd. Jesus took the bread and fish and gave thanks for the meal. They distributed the food to the crowd, and there was enough for everyone to have as much as they wanted to eat. After everyone had eaten, Jesus had the disciples gather up all the leftovers because he didn't want to have anything that would go to waste. And the crowd saw that there were 12 baskets of food left over. They were amazed by Jesus' miracle and began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Maybe these people are beginning to understand who Jesus is. Or maybe not. In the next few passages, I want to break down and point out some of the things about this crowd who are running from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake and back. The people were obviously looking for something from Jesus. Let's continue on and see what we find. So the next people, or the next day, the people who had just eaten the bread and fish on the mountainside are now running to find Jesus on the other side of the lake. When they found him, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now in verse 30, or 26, Jesus answered, Very truly I say to you, or very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now Jesus was pretty straightforward with the crowd. He knew that they might have been entertained by his miracles, but he really knew that they were coming because they were looking for more food. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. This isn't the work that they were thinking they needed to to earn God's favor. It's really simple. Come to Jesus Believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he will do. But they wanted more. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? This is exactly what I was talking about at the beginning of this message. It's what I call meology. Do this for me, and I will believe. Give me what I want. And I will believe. Because, Lord, you love me. You bless me abundantly. You give your life for me. Therefore, it's all about meeting my needs. Remember, they followed Jesus around the lake because they saw him heal the sick and multiply the fish and loaves. Oh, yeah, and they were also hoping for another meal. The people saw Jesus do amazing miracles, but they still could not see Jesus. Here they are in the middle of this amazing story and they really know nothing about the real Jesus. Last weekend, Holly and I, we went to her niece's wedding. 
At the reception, I asked the person sitting next to me, are you a friend of the bride or are you a friend of the groom? And he responded, well, I'm a co-worker of the groom. So I asked a few simple questions about his connection with the bride and his connection with the groom. And I got some pretty short, simple answers, nothing deep about their friendship. Before the conversation went any further, he quickly excused himself because the food light was forming and he didn't want to miss out. When he returned with his food, he became so fully focused on eating his large plate of food that we never finished our conversation. But from what little I learned in the conversation I had with him, it's quite possible that he wouldn't be able to tell me anything about the bride or be able to tell me any personal stories about the groom. Yet from my observation, I'm pretty sure that he will never forget that meal he had. That's how these people were. They could have learned so much about Jesus, but they didn't. It was more about the meal. They will never forget the meal that Jesus provided for them. Then the people described Jesus, and they described to Jesus how God fed their ancestors bread from heaven when they were with Moses in the wilderness. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them food from heaven to eat. It's amazing that Jesus hears what they're saying, and then he uses their own words to help them understand who he is. Jesus doesn't give up on them. He perseveres again and again and again to help these people. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is a bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Some will see, yet they still won't believe. Some will see, yet they still won't believe. Number two in your outline. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, but you still do not believe. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life to redirect their desires to what they really need. They need him, not another meal. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our deeper hunger and give us a real life, an eternal life forever. Jesus is the only one who can do that. Five times in this chapter alone, Jesus describes himself as the bread that will eternally end the hunger Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Your ancestors, ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what's he telling us? When Jesus says he's the bread of life, what's he telling us? I am the bread of life is the first of seven I am statements across the book of John. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why does Jesus use I am statements or I am metaphors to describe himself? Why does Jesus use I am metaphors to describe himself? He wants to explain who he is. He wants us to understand how to respond to him. He wants to offer himself to us and invite us to him. Jesus uses these word pictures to make us think, ponder, reflect, and contemplate who he is. You see, Jesus' heart is burning with desire that these people will get it, but they still don't. Their eyes are spiritually blind and their hearts are not spiritually receptive to who Jesus is. Their eyes are blind and their hearts are not receptive to who Jesus is. This brings us to our key verse, which is John 6, 37. We've completed the 35,000 foot overview and now we're going to land the plane and unpack what verse 37 has to say. So verse 37 says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In the next few verses, Jesus explains his purpose. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who, him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. Our redemption is a matter of a gracious or our redemption is not a matter of a gracious son trying to calm down an uncontrollably angry father. The father himself ordains our salvation. If your eyes are open to seeing Jesus and your heart is receptive to hearing his eternal promise, then who he is should be pretty clear. Those who seek him will find him. We saw this earlier in chapter 6. There will be those who are not just going to get it. Some are just not going to get it. And then there are those who desire it. They long for it. They cannot get enough of it. It's a hunger that's deep in their soul. What are your expectations of Jesus? 
What do you want from him? Everything. Everything. Thank you. Are you looking for a Jesus that will give you everything you wish for? Are you looking for a Jesus that will make all your problems go away? Is the relationship that you're seeking Jesus for more about meology? Lord, you love me, you bless me abundantly, you gave your life for me, therefore it's all about me? Or is your relationship with God about responding to God with joy for who he is? Lord, you love me, you bless me abundantly, you gave your life for me. Thank you for being my God. Yet with all our faults, he promises that he will never cast us out. With all of our faults, he promises that he will never cast us out. This is our ironclad certainty that our salvation is eternally secure. Number four, the ironclad certainty that our salvation is eternally secure. Verse 37 says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I know I keep saying that, but that's very important to get in your head. I will never cast out. He will never cast you out. This is our ironclad certainty. It's an open invitation and a glorious promise. Ironclad certainty, open invitation, and a glorious promise. God keeps his promises. So here's the big question. What does Jesus do with the fact that so many are not believing in him? They merely want to use him to get a meal. Well, he's resting on this ironclad certainty, and he's confident all that the Father gives him will come to him. It's a radical, tremendous truth. Those who come and believe in Jesus are a gift from God the Father to Jesus the Son. They're gifts of love in response to the sacrifice that Jesus is about to make. And all, not some, not most, but all the Father gives to Jesus will come to Jesus. Now, while the Father is sovereign, the sovereign overseer of our salvation, we are not dragged kicking and screaming to Christ against our will. Divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and turns around our very desires. Our eyes are opened, and Jesus Christ becomes a beautiful sight. None will be lost. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What does that mean? sound a little scary you know when our six-year-old granddaughter Clara she gets scared about something her mom reassures her that everything's going to be okay by asking her 
what do you say when you get scared? And Clara responds, her answer is always, God's got this. A six-year-old, God's got this. Her simple, childlike faith answer there brings her instant peace. God's got this. Sometimes we just have to say that. God's got this. We might not understand everything. We have to just say to ourselves, God has got this. It means that God put that desire in your soul to seek him and have peace. It means that when God begins a work of salvation in a human heart, and he must begin that work, God also finishes that work. Jesus knew this. Jesus understood this. And Jesus is resting in this absolute ironclad certainty. Do you know it? Do you know it? Is your soul crying out to Jesus? The promise is wide open. All are invited and all are welcome. The Father gives. We come. Jesus keeps. The Father gives. We come and Jesus keeps. God the Father puts that desire to know Jesus in your heart. And he gives it as a gift to his son, Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful gift from a father to his son that he gives us to his son, Jesus Christ. We come to Jesus in God's saving purpose for a sinner is never thwarted. He is never frustrated and he never runs out of resources. Never thwarted, never frustrated, and he never runs out of resources. If the Father calls us, we will come to Christ. Jesus keeps us. Once we make that decision to follow and believe in Jesus, we have the ironclad certainty that Jesus will eternally keep us. He'll keep us as a precious gift given to him by his Father. Whoever comes to me, no, I will never, never cast out. It's a glorious promise. And what a challenge sometimes it is to believe it. Every one of us has times in our lives where we question it and believe it. Every one of us. Those of us who stand up here, those working in the mission field, there isn't anybody who doesn't. In Mark 9, 24, a man came to Jesus. He fell to his knees weeping and said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I believe, help me with my unbelief. There have been times in, in my life 
when I really had to struggle with that. Help me with my unbelief. I said to God, God, I truly believe, but help me with my unbelief. When things are not going well, when things are bad, when things just seem like they're at the end, you just don't have any more hope, that's when we need to say, help me with my unbelief, because we forget that he's there. At that point, I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. Am I going to stay with him, or am I going to run away from him? And I chose to grab on, hold on, with all I had, and I wasn't going to let go. But I still have to remind myself, God, I still need help with my unbelief because there are times when it feels like something isn't right, something doesn't make sense. Why does God allow this to happen? Help me with my unbelief. We need to always remember, and I always need to remember this too, as a child of God, our salvation is secure. As a child of God, your salvation is secure. You will not lose it. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you might be thinking, am I really good enough? Maybe you've come up with a hundred reasons or excuses for not believing. No, wait, we say cautiously as we're approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I have really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. Well, I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavier and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It is too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. And I'm the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Don't stop crying out to God. John 6, 37 is spoken by Jesus in response to the fact that many are not believing in him. They're looking for physical security, not spiritual security. To some, it's about the here and now. To others, it's more than that. It's a hunger that God put in you. It's that desire to know the one who created you. It's having that ironclad certainty that Jesus promises when he says, whoever comes to me, I will never, no, never cast out. I'm going to close with this. Psalm 139. And as I read it, I want you to think about it. 
Think about what David is writing here. Think about what it says. For you created me. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. God, how vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. It's not an accident that you're here today. It is not an accident. God knew you were going to be here. You know that God knew you long before you knew you. God knew you long before you knew you. He created you for his purpose. He put his desire in your heart to seek him out and discover what that purpose is. He knew you before you knew you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that we don't ever give up. We want to be a part of your greater plan. I know you can do it without us. You can do it without me, but you still choose to use me. Lord, and you will choose to use us if we are open to allowing ourselves to believe Lord, there's so much to digest from this passage. One day, we will see you face to face in all of your glory. And we will bow down and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you, Jesus Christ, is Lord. If there's something in this message that really spoke to you and you'd like to talk to somebody about it after the service, then please either seek me out or seek out Pastor Jeff, someone on the elder board, close friend, believer that can really help you digest some of this. But you have to realize and understand that God is the only one. Jesus is the only one who can give you that ironclad certainty. He makes the offer. We have to decide to accept it and receive it. 